Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With karate, I kick your ass. I'm here to ride on the bed. Oh, yeah, motherfucker. Kick your fucking dairy. You broke the room. Pulling up your pubic hair You motherfucker You motherfucker Listen to me If you want anything to do with sports The world of athletics The world of professional or college sports Bet Online is where you need to be Okay? Bet Online has all the latest odds News and information for all your online sports betting needs. Trust me, there's no other place to go when it comes to placing your bet. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before your next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Magic spoon, magic spoon, magic spoon. Oh, you are so magic. It tastes as good, if not better, than your favorite childhood cereal, But this has only 140 calories and 14 grams of protein in every serving with only 4 net grams of carbs. And you may be saying to yourself, Mike, Mike Catherwood, I know what's going on here. You take regular old sugary sweet cereal and you just pump it full of protein powder and other fillers and there you go. You have your low calorie high protein cereal. Oh, no, 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 no. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. It is an excellent product, and every single flavor tastes amazing. Go to magicspoon.com slash Mikey to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code Mikey at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason whatsoever, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Boom! It's 2021. Time to pull it together. Get the ultimate dietary ace in your sleeve with Magic Spoon cereal. Remember, get your next delicious bowl at magicspoon.com slash Mikey. Use the code Mikey. Save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. All right, all right, all right, my babies, my babies, my babies. It is Mikey Likes You. I am Mikey, and you are who is liked by me. <laughs> uh, it's a Q&A, you know, question and answer. Um, a lot of popularity with these, and that's why I try to do them pretty frequently. I'm, I'm trying to do one non-Q&A and then another Q&A, just toggle back and forth, because there's much more engagement with um, these Q&A episodes than there is with other episodes, and people seem to give me better feedback with these, um, and I enjoy it. I actually really do enjoy it, because I get a little bit more interaction with you guys, Um So let's get right to it. I'm going to go to my Mikey Likes You profile. Mikey Likes You 1, the number one. Um, First is Frank Acosta. Uh, Mike, you're about my age. I notice the older I become, the harder it is to continue working out. Thus, how do you stay motivated in your 40s to continue to remain consistent with your workout regimen? Good question. Um... Uh, Sorry to get so heady, (laughs) but, you know, there's actually, there's a pretty long and meaningful, I think meaningful, answer to this question. Oh my God, my key, I let my daughter use my laptop and she was eating honey 
and it's so sticky. Oh my God. Oh, what are you going to do? Kids. Um, so Frank, I was a very sick kid when I was born. Very ill. I lived almost my entire first year of life in the NICU in this, you know, kind of covered bubble because I was so sick. Uh, according to, I don't obviously remember this, but according to my parents, the diagnosis from all the doctors was that I most likely wasn't going to make it. Um, if you were to objectively look at it and you had medical understanding of what was going on with me, uh, I was, I was, I should die, but I didn't. I powered through. And when I think about that, it motivates me to look certain pressures, societal pressures in the eye and just say, nah, no, I'm good. Cool story. Uh, I know I'm getting older and therefore I'm supposed to be softer and weaker. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to have a pudgy dad bod, but uh, I'm cool. I'll do my thing. Nope, not going to do it. I know I'm supposed to um, eat global fast food and watch these movies and just turn my life off when I when I turn my brain off as much as possible and be a consumer and support all this societal pressure that's coming at me and coming at you guys every moment of every day. And I just think back to you know newborn Mike and I just say no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to allow my standards to be set by other people. And it really does motivate me. I found myself to be more motivated at age 42 than I was at age 32. Um, and it's because of my intent. It's because of my perspective on things. And it's because I'm really, really, really fucking pissed off. Uh, and not in a angry kind of tough guy way. What I mean by that is that I, en I engage and I am recognizing the many, many, many pressures from the outside world, from society, uh, as a whole, from the, the, the kind of overall main social structure, be it, you know, uh, wealthy corporations, advertising and certainly the government they they're trying really hard to paint us into a box that best suits them and this is not a uh, a, a, a partisan statement because this is equally as much a democrat as it is republican it is equally as much um liberal as it is conservative so uh i i i i'm not saying that to cover my ass what i am saying is that i truly i mean that this isn't there's no partisan feelings about this. This is a purely um, kind of the, the, the wealthy elite are constantly pressuring all of us to be a certain way because it best suits them to, to kind of be a little bit more asleep and to just kowtow to what they want because it does make their life better. And I am just furiously pissed off about it. And there's a pit this, this fire inside of me this that continues to push me forward. And that really keeps me going. So again, I'm sorry to 
go on such a long-winded rant and to get a little bit too heady about it. And I know it sounds corny, but that's that's my honest opinion and that's my honest feeling. Malamako. Does your family eat different things at mealtime? Dinner mainly. So you can stick to your regimen. I try not to make my kid separate food because it's a pain in the ass. So I'm curious as to how you guys do dinner time. No, my family and I eat the same things. Um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, my family, we all eat the same food. It took some effort, but once I established right from the start, I mean, since birth, um, after my daughter was done breastfeeding, we just fed her stuff that we eat. A lot of natural foods, a lot of whole foods, um, certain vegetables that we like to eat, and then uh, fruits and lean proteins. My daughter's a big meat eater. My daughter's a big, uh, she's a big fruit eater. And my wife and I, um, we eat the same foods. I cook <laughs> all meals in my home. And that's not because my wife isn't a good cook or um, isn't capable. It's because I genuinely enjoy it. So I've just taken on that role in my household. And, uh, you know, I fire up the Traeger grill and I barbecue a lot of stuff at one time and then you know, we, we all eat the same thing, obviously different amounts. Um, and my daughter will eat more snacky stuff that my wife and I don't engage in. And that's the only area where we kind of break apart. Um, because she's seven and I do think that she does need to eat a little bit more frequently to kind of keep herself going because she's a growing little thing. But when it comes to the main meals, um, no, we, I, you know, and if my daughter doesn't like it, which at times it has been the case, it's, it's kind of like a too bad thing. And once you hammer that notion home, it becomes quite easy. But there is, a, there is a, an uncomfortable kind of learning curve where, you know, she will be like, I don't want this. You know, I want hamburger. And it's like, well, that's really crappy for you. You know, I try to be as nice and understanding about it as possible. But I also go, hey, listen, you're seven. Uh... I'm doing everything I possibly can to be able to even afford this food, and then I made it. If you're so passionate about having something different, uh, get a job and go buy it. <laughs> um, so you know, yeah. And there was a there was a, a little bit of a uncomfortable learning curve, like I said. But that's that's kind of how I got to the point where it is definitely easier because making different things for different people becomes a massive pain in the ass. Um, dream city to live in from mommy to Irish twins, uh, Paris, Nashville, Sayulita in Mexico. Yeah, I would, you know, there's definitely more, um, but I would put those three right at the top where if like I had the means to do it, I move tomorrow. Um, a Aaron 369, my right shoulder is noticeably smaller than my left. How can I make them the same size? More weight on the right side and more reps. I would continue with the same amount of weight, um, but I would definitely do more volume on my smaller side. Um, hypertrophy or muscle growth in a, in, a, in a vacuum is definitely more driven by volume than it is by weight. So there is this misconception. Now that's not to say if you want big muscles, you shouldn't lift heavy weights. You absolutely should. Mechanical stress is very important, 
But I'm talking about when it's like, what is ideal right now so that I can get bigger muscles in a shorter period of time? Volume training is is better. Lighter, more, not light, but moderate weight with higher reps is a, a bigger driver than heavier weights at lower reps. But both should be utilized. When I see an imbalance and someone's trying really hard to make that imbalance kind of uh, square off, I would definitely recommend, you know, doing reps of 10 to 15 on your left shoulder, the smaller shoulder, and then sticking with, you know, reps of 8 to 10 on the right, but using pretty much the same weight. Um, Any tips for training with tendonitis or golfer's elbow? Yes, um, don't try to train through it, um, and then strengthen your grip. Very weird set of uh, studies and stuff have shown, and I got into this world when I got really, really, a really, really sore elbow from boxing, um, where I was able to try to try to train around it. And if you have elbow issues, strengthening your grip somehow, some way, I'm sure there's a lot of very detailed science behind it. I don't have that detailed science in my brain, but what I do know is that it works. Um, so do things like, um, you know, the, the captains of crush grippers, which is what I use, and I would just keep it in my car. And in traffic, I would just squeeze that thing and train with it. Um, weighted carries. Anything you can do to strengthen the hand, the muscles surrounding the wrist and the muscles surrounding the hands and fingers. Um, it will somehow bolster and then um, secure the elbow area a little bit more and make things, um, make that pain lessen. I have, this is from Hot Cheetos and Taki. Okay, awesome, awesome profile name. Um, I have a small enough in, in gen, in inguinal, inguinal hernia that the doc doesn't recommend surgery. Thoughts on lifelong lifting, which workouts to do and avoid? Um, I am going to pass on this one. Not because I don't care about you, but I, I just don't think it's safe or appropriate for me to start giving you advice when you have a hernia. The hernia and the problem of the hernia there in the abdominal wall and the upper part of the pelvic floor is such a sensitive area and it's really tenuous because it is at the core of the body. It is the central kind of moving force, the center of gravity. So most everything you do in an exercise capacity is going to put pressure there. I just don't want to give you advice and then have you exacerbate that injury. I would talk to a, 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 a qualified physical therapist and I would talk with your, your physician. Um, I don't think it's something you have to, you, you'll never be able to train again. I definitely think there are ways to do it. I just, to be very honest, don't feel comfortable kind of going down that road. Um, where do you purchase bison from Alonsi72? Um, you can get it anywhere. You can get most beef. I mean, I've seen it even at like Costco and Walmart. Um, but for the most part, I, I get it online. Um, Ranch Direct is what I use. But there's many, many, many really nice regenerative regenerative farms around this country. North America is a, a picture-perfect place for the buffalo and the bison. That is why I like to lean towards it because... I feel like, you know, here in America, it's, it, it is it is kind of our our protein source. That is, this is our land when we look at it from a, 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 
I don't want to say, from the, the legacy of North American land, it is the place to really have uh, robust, healthy bison. And by looking at it that way, you also understand that those animals provide the best kind of symbiotic relationship with the environment. Um, and that's why I like to look to the bison because of the regenerative nature. I use Ranch Direct here in Southern California, but there are so many all over this great country of ours and all over Canada, um, uh, amazing bison and buffalo farms that, like I said, these are animals that are treated with high levels of animal husbandry, incredibly humane, and their their sheer existence makes the earth healthier as well. So um, just Google ordering bison meat, you know, and see what you can find and find the best deal for you. But I do use Ranch Direct and uh, buyranchdirect.com, I believe, is the website. Um, Pierce Hansen, he has a question that I've addressed many times. Uh, I'm not shitting on you. I understand. One thing I, I definitely think I have a leg up on other podcasters with is that I've spent two decades in radio, terrestrial radio. So I understand very clearly even fans of you listen to a very small amount of your content. People are busy. Everyone, a mistake a lot of people make when they get into radio or even podcasting is that there's this assumption that people understand all the shit that's going on in your brain and then subsequently coming out of your mouth. Not true. In fact, even fans of you listen to a pretty small amount. Um, so even though I've dealt with this many times, I will go over it again because I do think it's a good question, and I also think that it's not Pierce Hansen's fault that he hasn't heard this. Um, hi, Mike. Your thoughts and opinion on SARMs, selective androgenic receptor modifiers? SARMs, S-A-R-M, I think that's what it is. Selective androgenic something modifiers. As they are becoming more popular in the bodybuilding workout world, they're not new. SARMs have been around for close to a decade, at least in the, in the kind of the fitness industry. They are definitely getting more and more popular. I do not like them. I don't like them very much at all. Do they work? Uh, I've seen a lot of um, compelling evidence that they do work. My whole thing with SARMs is that if you're going to spend that kind of money on something to modify your androgenic and uh, anabolic profiles, buy testosterone, buy real, buy Winstrol, buy an uh, Anavar, something a little, you know, something easy on the system. There's fucking 70 years of long-term conclusive science on what happens to your body when you use testosterone. If you use it responsibly, it's actually not bad at all. Um, I understand the media likes to demonize androgens and anabolics because, look, yes, they are something that is prone to being abused and they can be dangerous. And I certainly don't want to have a bunch of teenage football players looking to go get steroids just because they read that it's super safe. But the reality is, is that it is safe, especially if it's used responsibly. It's not going to have any long-term negative effects on the body, uh, used at appropriate dosages. And it's like, if you're going to put that money into something, buy a fucking test. I have no fucking clue what SARMs are doing to your body on a long-term basis. And no, neither does anybody else. So that's why I, I, I can say that like things like Ostrine definitely work and have been shown to be effective, I just figured like why even take that chance when there's something right there for the same money, if not less money, that is definitely worked better and is definitely safer. Um, so there you go. Hey Mike, 
What, if any, is the value of monogamous relationships as opposed to a polyamorous one? It seems like my relationship might be moving towards polyamorous and it's making me feel uncomfortable and I don't know why. Well, I know why. Should I face this discomfort or is this an area where I should listen to my gut? When it comes to relationships, romantic ones, it is my opinion that there is no right and wrong. Okay, barring the extreme. Don't don't get fucking crazy. You'll be like, oh, really? Is it not okay to punch your wife? That's a relationship. Of course. No, it's fucking terrible. Okay. But I mean, when it comes to how the nuts and bolts of your relationship work out, I don't fucking know. I certainly don't have the answer. And I don't think there is one clear-cut right answer or wrong answer. I know plenty of people in my personal life who are doing the open relationship and they do it well. And they're very happy and they love each other. And shit. Awesome. Good for you, man. And chick. Or man and man. Whatever the fuck. Good for you guys. I have not done that. I have no experience personally with polyamory or open relationships. I have done the I'm going to date a bunch of chicks at the same time thing. And I will tell you, although my dick liked it, it was fucking miserable. Why? Because to make even the smallest amount of progress in a relationship, you have to be pretty committed to that person and willing to sacrifice some shit and make some, make some real, real effort. Even for like a really good, you know, these people have this idea of like a soulmate. You know, my wife is as perfect and amazing partner as I could ever have dreamed of. I love my wife. I worship the ground she walks on. We have a great relationship. But it's fucking hard. And I have to put in a lot of effort, and she does as well, to meet me halfway. As I grow and change as a person, she has to f identify the ways that I'm growing and changing as a person and, and cater to that. And vice versa, I have to kind of really alter my behavior to understand her different needs and feelings. It's a lot of work. I can't see how it would be even feasible to do that with numerous people. Now, that being said, if you feel differently and you can make it work, go do that. I am not some super traditionalist that feels like it has to be one person, one partner, or else. Uh, many people I know, personally, have very healthy, happy lives using the open marriage or polyamory thing. I think when it comes to you personally, if you're asking my opinion, you're saying, I feel, it's making me feel uncomfortable. Well, Adam Carolla gave me great advice like 15 years ago. And I, it was before he started giving this advice on the air. He kind of told me just off the air, we were having a conversation. He gave me great advice. He said, don't, don't ever do anything you don't want to do. Or you're not getting paid for. There's no need to do anything that makes you feel bad or awkward unless someone's going to pay you money. So for the rest of your life, do things that you like doing or do things that you're getting paid for. And I was like, God damn it, that's great advice. If someone's going to cut me a check, if I'm of the employee of another person, I obviously, like all of us, I'm going to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. But that's fucking work. 
okay? And I'm getting money for it. Outside of getting money for something, why ever do anything that fucking sucks? Don't do that. And if it's making you feel uncomfortable, I, I just got through saying relationships are hard and they are effort, but they shouldn't be uncomfortable. You shouldn't feel awkward and, and, and fearful and scared and, and uncomfortable at all. It should be something that makes you feel whole, even though it is in fact work. So if you don't want to do it, I say don't do it. If you, I'm assuming your partner that you're going to engage in this type of stuff with is, is a chick because I'm looking at your profile pic. You look, you look like a straight guy. I'm sorry to be judge book by its cover, but I'm just assuming it's a chick, okay? So you have your girlfriend and you're like going to engage in this polyamory. If you feel like this girl could be the one, I say don't do that. If you feel like most likely you're going to move on from this girl at some point, go ahead and fuck. Go fuck a lot. I am of the of the belief that when it comes to men, gay and straight, go fuck a lot and don't ever let anybody get in the way of your fucking until you get married. Because we're gross, disgusting animals. And if you're going to be in a monogamous relationship, I really think you should fucking commit to it and be a, a, a high quality man about it. And I don't like cheating and I don't like fucking around. So until you say I do or you know what, you know, until you get engaged, just make your dick as active as possible. Unless you have some type of religious or personal belief and you believe don't believe in premarital sex. I respect that. That's it. I'm talking about people who are into premarital sex. If you're a guy, fuck as much as possible. Do as many fucking crazy sh things you can with your dick because one day you're going to say I do. And this goes gay or straight, like I said. If you're one of these days, you're going to say I do. And you don't want to make it any harder for yourself than it's going to be automatically. Okay? Hi, Mike. This is from Yanatmang. Any specific leg workouts at home I can do when struggling with a little bit of knee pain? Yes, everyone, whether you have knee pain or not, if you are going to engage in resistance training, check out Knees Over Toes Guy. That's literally his name. He's the Knees Over Toes Guy. Google that shit. He has programs. They're incredibly affordable. He has a lot of free content on YouTube. Engage in the Knees Over Toes Protocol. He, oh, I just burped. He is a wizard. Very, very good. He's a guy who had crippling knee problems i'm talking numerous surgeries and he's on there doing crazy deep squats and full fucking sissy squats all the way back with his back to the ground and it's because he follows a very very simple but very effective protocol ass to grass knees over toes guy all right you talk a lot about whey proteins what are your thoughts on plant-based proteins from devo 235 i'm not a fan if you're a vegan and that's really your only option, okay, you know, get that rice protein, isolate, um, whey, uh, excuse me, um, hemp is great because it's a complete protein and has a lot of healthy fats in it and stuff like that. But if you are someone who eats dairy or eggs, I don't understand at all. There's no reasonable reason to have plant-based proteins. Here's why. It's an inferior source of protein. You're either going to get incomplete amino, amino acid profiles, if you get something like soy or rice, uh, pea protein, things like that, 
or you're going to have to engage in using like hemp protein, which is healthy and which is does have a complete amino acid profile, but because it comes from hemp seeds, you're getting way more calories for way smaller amounts of protein. You know, the average whey protein has 25 grams of protein in like 120, 130 calories. The average hemp protein has, uh, for 130 calories, you're getting like 10, 9, 10 grams of protein. So it's just the, the, the density of protein is so much lower in plants and the amino acid profiles are not good. Um, so that's my take. Again, if for moral reasons you are a vegan, then you go for it. I would say that I would opt for more essential amino acids and really lean on those more so than I would plant-based protein powders, but uh, I get it. Um, are barbell complexes a good form of cardio when trying to lose weight without sacrificing muscle? Absolutely. Um, I love barbell complexes and essentially it's a circuit of using barbell exercises one after the other after the other, um, engaging in almost like a, like a, like a, a a circuit, a cardio circuit with barbells, they're excellent. I love them. The problem being is that you need, you need, need to have incredibly high levels of skill in barbell exercises to engage in them. I would never recommend most people, even the intermediate, you know, people who feel like they know what they're doing. I don't want them going from a front squat into a good morning, into a overhead press, unless you're fucking excellent at doing them because you're going to be tired the more and more you go down the list of these exercises, by the time you get to the second and third exercise, you're very fatigued. That is going to put stress on your ability to maintain good form. So if you're a stud, if you're a boss bitch, go ahead, do your barbell complexes. I think it's in a really effective way to get your um, high intensity cardio training in without sacrificing muscle mass. And it's just a great form. But be cautious because it's fucking hard and you can get hurt. Um, let's see here. Let me switch profiles and don't you move. Lucy, Lucy, you are the best. If you know anything about me, you know that I love nicotine. Nicotine is an amazing drug. Unfortunately, nicotine comes with a terrible tattoo and cultural stigma. Not because of nicotine, but because of the way we normally get our nicotine. If it's vaping or dipping or chewing or smoking, it's all nasty. There's a better alternative now, and it's Lucy. Lucy, lozenges and gum with four milligrams of clinical nicotine to give you that cognitive boost, to give you that metabolic boost, to give you that appetite suppression, and it all comes in either wintergreen cinnamon or pomegranate gum, or four milligram lozenges in cherry ice flavor. They're all fantastic. All right, so listen up close. Mikey likes you listeners. Go to lucy.co, use the promo code Mikey, get 20% off all products, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co, and use the promo code Mikey at checkout. I also have to read this. Please listen close. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co. Be sure to use the promo code Mikey. All right. I have switched profiles to at Mike Catherwood. And let's go. Let me look at all these great questions here. A lot of good questions, you, you fellas and ladies. Um, so thank you. Mommy to Irish twins again. Oh, I'm weighing my food. Which foods should I weigh raw versus cooked? Raw. Everything raw. Rice, oatmeal, fruit, vegetables, meat, everything must be weighed raw. Okay, this is very important and a very good question. Here's why. If you weigh cooked four ounces of chicken, 
let's say, okay? Like four ounces of chicken, and you got it from the supermarket, from the deli area, okay? You have no idea how long that was cooked, in what fashion it was cooked, um, what additives have been put on that, and the amount of time that it was cooked and how it was cooked makes a huge difference. Four ounces of cooked protein could be like eight ounces of raw because moisture obviously is removed during the cooking process. So the only way you can get, and then by the way, with something like rice, a half cup of rice from your favorite sushi restaurant might be like, I don't know, only like a tablespoon or two of rice because the water has then gotten back into it. You know, there's more moisture and it fluffs up and puffs up. So the only way you're getting consistent, realistic ideas of what you're eating is to weigh everything raw, okay? Everything. It's it's the only way to keep it consistent. A grilled steak um, has, it's gonna weigh far different and have a completely different nutrition profile compared to um, a, a sous vide steak or a, a pan seared steak. Um, you know, it's just, I can go on and on and on and on in that every, the way that things are prepared greatly, drastically changes the amount versus the nutrition profile of said amount of food. Weigh everything raw. Thoughts on building muscle in a deficit. Can the fat fuel muscle growth, i.e. recomposition, can the fat fuel muscle growth? No, you can't. Thoughts on building muscle in a deficit. You can do it. Um, and it's just really hard if you're not a beginner. So in the beginning of training, when you're, and, and when I say by that, I don't mean you've never trained before. I mean the beginning of really getting back into it. If you've taken a couple years off, or even if you've been training for a couple years kind of half-heartedly, if you make a decision to go ham, once you do that, the first three weeks to three months, you can definitely build a little bit of muscle in a deficit. But eventually that shit goes away. Um, but... If you, after you get past that point, you know, that kind of beginning phase in which point you've put on that muscle and body fat has reduced, you can continue to hold on to that muscle. And even look, I'm percentage wise, you can get a 0.05% muscle increase in a deficit, but oh, I'm talking about realistically, no, you can't, but you can maintain muscle mass as body fat and body weight comes down. And that's where you make the big, that's where you get the holy fuck, look at you, dude. When you take off your shirt to go to the pool or like, oh my God, have, have you seen Mrs. So-and-so lately? That's where that comes from, is muscle maintenance or small amounts of muscle growth with uh, concurrent simultaneous fat loss. That's where you, and that is why I hammer home a couple main ideas. Steer away from long-term cardio, Look, make everything about resistance training, build around that, and also super high protein. The more you're in a deficit, the higher the protein should be. Everyone always thinks it's like, it's time to bulk up, bro. I'm going to be nothing but protein. In reality, the dieting athlete needs to be high, have a higher protein level than the bulking athlete. Um, what kind of weightlifting program would you recommend for a 15-year-old? My boy wants to pack on... The muscle. I've got him doing the basics. Squats, deadlifts, bench, shoulder press, etc. We only have dumbbells at home, so are limited to that at the time. Love your show. Um, obviously, stick with the basics. Continue to stick with the basics. Graduate to barbells when you can. I would imagine he's in high school if he's 15, and every high school should have some type of weight training facility for their, for their athletes. 
graduate and understand how to do barbell squat, barbell deadlift, rows, overhead press, bench press, okay? Add, add in chin-ups and pull-ups to that, and that's all you need. I will say, concurrently, you should work on range of motion and mobility. Gaining muscle mass will distort your ability to move. It doesn't make you quote-unquote tighter. It doesn't make you less flexible. That is a misnomer. That is wrong. In fact, proper weight training makes you more flexible. The reality is, though, that flexibility, as we commonly and traditionally look at it, is fucking meaningless. Mobility is very important. What is the difference? Flexibility is your ability to do uh, the splits, right? Or touch your hands to the ground with a hamstring stretch. Against resistance, you are pushing your body down and the resistance could be your own muscles pushing you down or it could be like uh, the floor as you go wider and wider to do the splits. There is something pushing against it. And you can have an incredibly limber set of legs. Let's say you could do the splits. It doesn't mean fuck all in your ability to, say, swing your leg wildly left and right and open in, in different directions. I There is some carryover, but you have to work on moving through different planes of motion and continuing to keep your son um, and, and anyone else to, to move in patterns that are appropriate and natural and healthy. If he is a pitcher and you get uh, gain a little bit of muscle mass in your pectoral muscles or your biceps, it is going to fuck up the way that he uses his arms and rotates when he throws a pitch. Therefore, as you can currently gain muscle mass, if you're a football player, basketball player, baseball player, any type of athlete, you want to always be hammering home your range of motion, mobility, and movement patterns, okay? So I, I do think that that is something that should be mentioned. David Coleman, 85. Have you ever taken a week off of weight training entirely to let things heal and recover? Yeah, absolutely. I have. I mean, most of the time it's because of for some type of forced reason, some circumstance, you know, I'm traveling for work or I'm on vacation, you know, in like a really remote area where they don't even have weight rooms. Um, but I do all, yeah, often. I also take purposeful breaks in the sense that I just drop my amount of effort and work. I will every four or five weeks um, not train anywhere over like 50 or 60% my one rep maxes in certain in most exercises and just really just kind of keep myself moving, keep my walking going. And, um, you know, two or three times a week, I'll get in and do like chin-ups and, and push-ups and stuff and like really, really light squats for mobility reasons. Um, but I definitely do that. I do that for recovery and I do that pretty consistently. I would say five times a year I do that. Um, caloric deficit versus starving yourself for a cut. What's the ass backwards way of going about this? Hmm. I don't know how to answer that because I don't necessarily know I understand the last part of the question. What's the ass backwards way? Well, here, I'll just say caloric deficit versus starving yourself. Don't starve yourself ever. That just should never happen. I mean, I guess if you're in like a weight loss competition with your buddies, hey, 20 bucks, you can lose the most weight in three weeks. Yeah, starve yourself. I mean, that's what, but it's not good for you and it, it's never sustainable. A small caloric deficit, as small as is useful to you to lose a pound a half pound to a pound and a half a week. The more obese you are, the more you can lose in a week and, and still be in a, in a healthy place. The leaner you are, you, I mean, I really wouldn't, like a person like me, I would not want to be losing more than a 0.5 to one pound in a week. 
Um, so I always recommend 300. Start with 300 calorie deficit and then uh, go from there. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe it's too much. Um, but you got it. You got to have, have the patience and the the discipline to see to wait and see. Um, what are your top eight exercises to do if all you have to train with is a squat cage and a 35, 35 pound kettlebell? Okay. You literally only have a squat rack, but no, no barbell and weights and a 35 pound kettlebell. That seems re unreasonable. Why would you have a squat rack without barbells? Then, um, if that's the case, then I, I, I say, I don't even know what my top eight exercises would be because they wouldn't involve the squat rack at all. If all you have is a 35 pound kettlebell, I would just not really even use the 35 pound kettlebell very much. I would be doing body weight work, sprints, hill sprints. Maybe I would do goblet squats with that 35 pound kettlebell for super high reps. Um, but you know, when you're, when you, when you have like small amounts of weight or a very limited amount of resistance at your, at your disposal, body weight exercises are better than anything. Getting to the ability to do chin-ups is going to be a million times more useful and effective than doing band pull-downs for like 600 reps. You know, like a 35-pound a, a, a kettlebell doing overhead presses with it, you're better served just starting to get really good at like handstand push-ups you know, working from a plank and working your way up higher and higher and higher till you're at a complete handstand, that's more valuable. It just is. Do you ever do personal training? Yes, all day, every day. Go to my Patreon. Look for Mike Catherwood. There is options for you to train with me. Kalalos85. Hey, Mike, I typically find it hard to meet my protein requirements on a caloric restriction. I understand that it is preferable to consume your protein from whole foods, but on days when this is not possible, do you think it is harmful to consume over half of your protein through multiple protein shakes a day? It is not optimal, but I don't think it's harmful. And um, staying with your calories and then getting the right amount of protein, it's a by any means necessary thing, in my opinion. Um, so again, I think you're very smart. You obviously know that Getting, you know, some salmon and some chicken breast and some and some beef is going to be better. It's better for your digestive tract. Your body assimilates it a little bit more. But if that's just not going to happen and you have, you know, 90 grams of protein from protein shakes and another 90 grams from food, that's fine. Just do, like I said, it's better than not getting it. You know, protein shakes are always, they're supplements. It's right there in the title, people. They should supplement your diet. They should not be a main part of it. What do you think was the downfall of the Kevin and Bean show from Dubgood? Was it when they fired Ralph Garman? That was certainly a big hit, but I don't think that was the beginning. I think the beginning happened, and it wasn't even Kevin or Bean's fault. It was the changing market, and there was a time all the way up until the time, like towards the end of my time there, you know, we're talking like 2008. Where K Rock, the radio, the, the 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 main radio station, the flagship station of the Kevin and Bean Morning Show, was a place to go for relevant pop culture and music. Okay, you know, you still had that. Obviously, it was a bigger deal in the '90s and '80s. In the '80s, it was actually they were a tastemaker. I mean, they were really like at the forefront of what people looked at to to for musical taste and up and coming music. 
in the 90s, you had rock bands ruling the world. I mean, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, uh, into the late 90s with Nine Inch Nails and then the explosion of like rap rock and bro rock and stuff like that. From the all of the 90s throughout, there was that was the main cool form of raw of of music you know hip-hop was cool and it was coming up but it wasn't in you couldn't compare to bands you know like the aforementioned bands so you had currency there and then even in my time up and until my time there was the white stripes and the strokes in the early 2000s and then you got the the kind of the resurgence of that mall emo with you know fallout boy my chemical romance um uh, Panic at the Disco, those, I mean, so there was still like a lot, like a lot of high school age kids found it cool to listen to these bands and to go to K-Rock. Once that ended, the station fucking shit the bed and then can try, tried to continue to be relevant and stuff like that. And it didn't matter what the content was. It didn't matter how good the show was. They just weren't, there weren't getting the same ears on them. What does that happen? What does that mean? Well, if you're not getting the same listenership, that means you can't charge as much and you can't get as much ad revenue. So then you don't have as much money at your disposal. So then you got to fire people like Ralph Garman. Now you're sunk. So I do think that that, that, the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back when Ralph was fired. But I don't think it was that was when it happened. I think what had happened probably around 2010, 2011, when, when things really shifted to the point that a high school age kid isn't even fucking listening to the radio. They're fucking, they've got their shit that they stream and, and they, they have no idea who Eddie Vedder is, you know? So that's my take on it. What do you think of GBT uh, from Aaron Price? Love it. GBT is German volume training. It's basic to simplify it. It is 10 sets of 10 reps at 50 to 70% your one rep maximum. It is incredibly difficult. It makes you incredibly sore. But if done properly, it is the most effective way to gain muscle mass. Absolutely bar none. I don't give a shit what anyone says. I will take the Pepsi challenge. Um, I would suggest looking to Charles Poliquin's writings on German volume training. He was one of the people really responsible for bringing it to um, the United States and the Western world outside of the Eastern Bloc. I believe he has written books called German Volume Training. So look for Charles Poliquin. Hmm. What is your typical weekday like between home, family, work, and training from Sklem4? I don't have a typical weekday because I'm not, you know, I have a really erratic schedule. I have a very weird life considering what I do for a living. And I'm doing four things for a living. You know what I'm saying? Like I have certain little TV work here. I have the other stuff that I got going on with Kevin from Kevin and Bean with great news. I have this podcast. I have uh, other obligations as far as like TV development shows that I've got, you know, kind of banging around. So I don't, I'm not one of those guys who could say like, well, I wake up at eight and then I go to work at nine and then I, but I will say there are certain things that happen in a pretty consistent order that I will go. I wake up probably around six. That's when my daughter wakes up. Therefore, that's when I fucking wake up. I go for a walk or a, a little jump rope sesh to get my body moving when I'm in a fasted state. It's nothing hard, but it's 20 to 30 minutes of just getting my body moving. I like to get it in sunshine. It is helpful for you. It gets me woken up. I come home. I usually eat. I will have eggs and kimchi for breakfast nine times out of ten. Sometimes I have some form of meat. 
I will take my daughter to school and then I will go to train. I will do weight training. I will come home and I will eat again. Then I will do some form of work, whether it be doing this podcast, doing something for Patreon, um, dealing with Patreon clients, uh, uh, writing a blog post, some, you know, something, doing a Rudy video with my friend Rudy <laughs> at Kulo Breaker, by the way. Um, then I will usually either go pick up my daughter or my wife will go pick up my daughter. And uh, then it's kind of like I'm on dad duty. I usually play with my daughter a lot. I actually, you know, enjoy it. I'm not trying to sound like Mr. Amazing Dad, but I, I love kind of like playing dolls and doing art, a lot of artwork and jumping on the trampoline and whatever, you know, seven-year-olds like to do. Then around like 5.30, I make dinner and then we eat dinner. And then there's like a some book reading or some more arts and crafts. And then my daughter goes to bed and then it's my wife and I's time. You know, it's usually around 8, 8.30, and then uh, we hang out and do what we like to do. And then usually it's around 10 p.m. it's lights out. So that's, uh, that's my day. Let's see here. How can I bulk up without getting fat in the process? From A. Ash Fuller. Every time I up calorie intake, I just get fucking fat, and I know I'm not eating enough for where I want to be. Well, you are eating enough. You don't, you listen, here's, this is undeniable science, people. You don't lose weight if you are in a caloric surplus. It, it's it doesn't happen. You don't gain weight if you are in a caloric deficit. If you gain weight, fat or muscle, you are eating too much. So, how do you bulk up without getting fat? Uh, it's not easy. I will tell you that right out of the gate. Bulking up is so easy. It really is. Lift, train hard. Do compound movements, deadlift, bench press, squats, and a couple other ancillary things. And train fucking hard. I like to go German volume training if bulking up is my only goal. And eat more. Eat way more. You will bulk up. You will gain muscle. You will, But you will get fat. How do you gain muscle mass without gaining body fat? It's fucking hard. You got to find the right perfect amount of caloric surplus. I like to start again with 300 calories. But you got to find your caloric baseline. Whatever that may be. You got to add 300 calories... And keep your protein level high. I like to start, I say always, just at least start with a gram per pound of body weight. And you got to train hard. Engage in a German volume training. I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, it's usually a four-day a week training protocol. Um, go after it. And tr pick exercises that suck at, that makes you fucking your life horrible. Which is going to be squats, deadlifts, bench press, chins. And go after it. Make it burn. It's going to suck. You will be sore as fuck. And I'm just, I'm telling you. And you will want to eat more because you're training so hard. But you got to be sensible and you got to cap it. You just got to eat a little bit more than your body is burning. When, if, you're feeling down emotionally or going through something difficult, how do you pick yourself back up and keep going from I Sloan? 
Um, it's a good question. It's changed a lot over the years. There was the way I did it before I met my wife, which was a lot of, I, I like physical activity is huge for me. And sometimes it's like, I can tell the, the more down I am, the harder I got to go. And it's very therapeutic for me to really just go balls to the wall. Then I met my wife and then I just, I try to spend more time and be open with her. That always works. I get into this weird thing where I think I'm being like a tough manly man and I just shut down when I get something's bothering me because I don't want to talk about it. No guys do. But I found that when I'm just open, I'll be like, honey, I need to talk to you. She's like, oh, what? What am I? I'm like, put your fucking phone down. You go, oh, okay, sorry. That's almost always what happens. And I go, listen, I'm doing the, this happened at work and then. She's like, I'm really glad you talked to me. And then she'll talk and then we'll have, and then we'll just sit there and chit chat. And it always ends up being really, really helpful for me. Then my daughter was born. And a lot of the times I will just be with her because her take on things is so much more positive because she's a kid. Kids are happy. Um, and she will oversimplify things in a way that I go, well, that actually makes a lot of fucking sense. And maybe I'm just doing mental gymnastics with all this stuff, and I should just take things in stride and be a little happy. Another great thing is dogs. I'm not anti-cat. I just don't want no shit about having cat. I never had a cat in my life. My dad's de deadly, deadly fucking allergic to cats. So I never had cats. I always had dogs my whole life. They always cheer me up. You know why? Because every day of a dog's life is the greatest day ever. And they're always like tail white. And you're like, come here, you little fucker. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I know I'm tired, but let's go. Yeah, yeah, let's party. And then it makes me feel better. You know, so those are, those are, some, those are some hacks, I guess. Lost 15 pounds counting calories. What suggestions do you have to slowly start lifting weights? I'm not sure I understand. I would start lifting weights. But no... I mean, there's no need to go at it slowly. Start lifting weights. Start learning how to squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, and row, and start doing it. You're not going to be very strong or very good at first. T totally no problem. But just learn it. Do it. It's not, maybe won't be too exciting at first. But continue to write down your weights and your reps and commit to making progressive changes and grow. Um, even if your goal is weight loss, I, I, I highly recommend get strong first. Start to really hammer that home and be patient and be disciplined and continue to do it for months and months at a time. You will get to the point where if you started off responsibly enough, you didn't go in and try to fucking deadlift 5,000 pounds, that you are, your skill at those exercises will become good. Your progress will keep you motivated and make you very happy. It's very, very, very emotionally beneficial and psychologically helpful to see yourself getting stronger. It's really, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, so there you go. Uh, young po poet. Penguin Billy says, what happened to Loveline? That show was great and stinky pinky amazing. Uh, nothing happened to it. I quit doing it. And then Dr. Drew tried to continue doing it with other people. 
and he, you know, he had gone through one, two, three, three hosts before me with Poor Man, and then, of course, the great Adam Carolla, who did it for a long time, then Stryker, and then I did it for close to a decade, and Dr. Drew's like, at my age, at this time, I don't want to do it anymore if Mike's not here, and I had many reasons why I decided to step down from hosting Loveline, and then Drew decided, like, it's time to wrap it up. I've been doing this for 30-something years, and I'm done. So it didn't get canceled. It didn't get it. We, Drew and I just stopped doing it. Um, I did not think when Drew stopped doing it that they would try to continue doing Loveline, the show Loveline, without a fucking doctor or someone funny. But they did. And um, the people who own the name Loveline, I don't know what broadcasting company, CBS or Westwood One or whatever, whoever the fuck owns it, they are doing it. So people are always like, why don't you and Drew bring back Loveline? So they're like, well, we can't. We don't own it. I guess we could do a show like it, just Drew and I, but maybe. You know, I certainly love Drew, and I'm pretty sure he loves, still loves me. <laughs> and we definitely get along very well. We talk all the time. Um, I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that. Let's see. Wow. Okay, we're getting up to an hour here. What? Uh, let me end on one. That's good. Ed, Edmund Artinian. Uh, hey, Glendelbro. Ed, Edmund Artinian. Nice. What's up, Edmund? Uh, you live the most. Thank you, Edmund. You live, too. Uh, I love working out and incorporating cardio and weightlifting. I notice that whenever I look at altering my diet or trying to supplement my workout with proper diet, I get overwhelmed with all the info out there. My question is, how would you approach proper diet so it's not overwhelming for someone who's never been on one before? Get yourself a tracking app. Suck it up and start tracking your food. Everyone can wax poetic, oh, low carb, high carb, low fat, this, stop it. You need to get a real sense of how much you're fucking eating and what you're eating. And you can't eyeball it. No one can. Everyone overestimates how much they're eating and everyone overestimates how many calories they're burning. Okay? Every, excuse me, everyone underestimates how much they're eating. Everyone. When you start tracking, you will go, oh my God, I had no idea. So get it. My Fitness Pal is my favorite. Um, Lane Norton has a great one called Carbon, but there's many. Get a tracking app. Start weighing your food and tracking your food. It is not fun. It is not sexy. It is the only way to really make that change. You will spin your wheels forever until you bite the bullet and do this. Next, up your protein higher than you are thinking you should. Start with one gram per pound of body weight. Not your ideal weight, your current body weight. Unless you are super big, okay? If you are over 100 or so pounds overweight, we can start talking about lowering that a little bit. But if you are a 200-pound man, go with 200 pounds. Start with that. Find your caloric baseline and go into a small deficit if you want to lose weight or a small surplus if you want to gain weight. High protein, stick with those calories, train properly. Everything else is just inconsequential. 
get your protein in, stick with a caloric kind of line that you feel is appropriate for your, for your goal. Um, everyone's always like, well, how do I know how many calories you eat? Well, you, you don't. There's insanely detailed um, equations you can do. Um, I, I get that. I always say like start with 14 calories per pound. Maybe it's too much. Maybe the, that's the easiest, best, most accurate way because you can then you can go to a lab and have all of like your breath rate, your oxygenation, everything take you know taken into consideration, and that is great. I had it done. My friend Nick Curson did it for me. It's fucking awesome. But most everyone's not going to do that. Most everyone also is not going to take the time to go through these elaborate equations. Start with 14 calories per pound of body weight and one pound of or one gram of protein per pound of body weight, okay? Stick with that. Measure and weigh everything you're eating so that you know that you're sticking with that. Don't assume you're sticking with that. See how things go after two weeks. If you haven't moved the scale at all, drop it down another 200 calories. If you lose seven pounds in a week, fucking add more calories. You just got, this is the best way. I know it's not super simplified i know it but this is honestly nuts and bolts the things you gotta do you gotta do if you really want to make that change okay start tracking get your caloric baseline get your protein in and uh and continue and and monitor it and then see how it goes and then alter and and uh pivot as you need as time goes on Thank you to everyone for tuning in, downloading, and subscribing. If you haven't done either of those, please do it. It would really mean a lot to me. Also, if you are looking for more detailed or more um, insightful help in any way when it comes to wellness, health, fitness, weight training, diet, fat loss, weight loss, muscle gain, habit forming, my Patreon will provide that for you. There are three tiers depending on how much help you would like. Go to Patreon, look for Mike Catherwood, and I am there. I try my best. And in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do love you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.